Today's episode is brought to you by Omeo. Omeo is a travel booking platform that makes planning a journey in Europe and North America effortless. Just enter your travel details and Omeo will magically give you all the train, bus, flight, and ferry options for your journey. It's never been simpler to book your first real vacation for 2021. Best of all, using Omeo saves you time and money. That's a win-win in our books. Omeo wants to help you leave your house this summer by offering 5% off your next booking. Just head to omeo.com, that's O-M-I-O.com, and use the code OMEO5 at checkout. Valid until July 31st for new users on all modes of transport. It's just the pick-me-up 2021 needs. Omeo, plan, book, and love the journey. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. I am your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at NomCastPod on Twitter and Instagram, and you can check us out on the web at NomCastPod.com. All right, on today's bonus episode of the week, we have my interview with writer-director Navot Papushado. He is the creator of the latest Netflix action thriller, Gunpowder Milkshake, which hit the platform on Wednesday. And right here, right now, I'm just going to say it. This is a top five film of the year so far for me. It has tons of style, gorgeous set designs, a quality score, some potent needle drops, and quite a few shootout set pieces that rival any of its contemporaries, including uh, another top five film for me for the year, Nobody, uh, with Bob Odenkirk that came out a few months back. It has a standout performance from Lena Headey, and frankly, all of the female assassin group is quite solid. And, and here's the best part. It's made by a really good guy who takes all of his films to the edge while also being incredibly entertaining, not just about the gore and violence, even though there is a ton of that to go around. Be sure of that. And another great part is that we are going to get more of this world because Gunpowder Milkshake 2 has already been announced by the same studio that produced this one. So I'm excited to see that. And I'm very excited that you get to hear my interview with writer, director, and incredible cinephile, Navot Papuchado. Here it is, guys. Give a listen. I'm delighted to be joined by writer-director Navot Papuchado. His latest film, the explosive action thriller Gunpowder Milkshake, comes to Netflix on July 14th. Congrats on the film, sir, and thanks for taking the time. Oh, thank you so much. Pleasure. On paper, your career seems like quite a journey. Uh, you make the first Israeli slasher film on a micro-budget with rabies. You get some love in the international festivals. Come back to Israel as conquering heroes in a way, or so it seems. You get a bigger budget, more production time to make Big Bad Wolves, which is more of this gritty revenge thriller that got some real mainstream buzz and praise from some pretty high places that I'll get to later on. And then now with this film, Gunpowder Milkshake, you go up another level, with a $30 million budget, done in English for the first time, in a genre you haven't done quite to this point yet. And yet, 
it's a job well done that will land on Netflix here in the States and a few other countries for 100 million subscribers to watch all in the same day. How do you look back on all that now after you've gotten to this point? Well, it's it still seems to me like a wild journey. I mean, if you try to think of where I started and then it's it was crazy then. I mean, no one... You know, no one knew what the hell were we doing. Like, okay, you want you want a horror movie in in, in a <laughs> place like Israel? All right, don't we know enough violence? And uh, yeah, you know, rabies in many ways was um, was a little bit of um, criticism on how this place, you know, that part in the world is an, is explosive. And then Big Bad Wolves was easier to put together. Not a much bigger budget of the first one, but it was still a hell of a ride. And I think it was closer to what I personally love cinematic-wise. The movies are very, very different from each other. I mean, Rabies is this handled kind of... um, It fits. It fits the genre and it fits the whole slasher sub-genre. But um, I think in Big Bad Wolves, it was much closer to the movies I drive inspiration from right but then gunpowder milkshake comes into into place and that's exactly what i see as inspiration like this is the movie of my dreams in many ways this is where i draw inspiration this is how i wanted to look and i wanted to sound and i wanted to feel so it was this step stones that led me kind of to do gunpowder milkshake but it also also was um way to perfect or which I'm not there yet. <laughs> I'm still working to perfect my ideas, but to see if I could explore the, the, these themes and ideas. So I think I'm ready now for the masses, <laughs> many viewers, for the big audience to watch a little bit of what I have to offer. And doing this with this level of cast and this level of crew is just beyond my wildest expectations. Well, definitely, if this film is more you, we are definitely kindred spirits because, you know, we're around the same age. We grew up with a lot of probably the same directors of prominence. And one of those, uh, the praise in high places that I was referring to earlier, was, came in the form of Quentin Tarantino, who called Big Bad Wolves uh, the best film of 2013. And that's pretty remarkable. And I know... As a person, I'm a big fan of his, uh, you know, and growing up in the in the 90s and the genre bending that you seem to like so much and and the kind of, you know, violence with a wink and and kind of like playful stuff. How how did that feel for you at the moment? And, and and I can imagine he's an influence on your career, even just saying those words. How How did that come about? How did it affect the trajectory of your career? It's hard to say where my career would be without that. So I know where I am right now and I appreciate and I'm thankful for 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 him taking first Big Bad Wolves kind of under his wing and later on we became good friends. So um, he actually saw the movie in Pusan Film Festival. I think it was the end of 2013 or maybe mm-hmm. it was already, you know, so, so long ago. But... It was just by pure coincidence. I was ready for um, for the screening there, and a young girl, a young woman from the festival, came and asked me if it will be okay that Quentin would come and talk to me before he come and see my movie. 
<laughs> and I knew he was there, but what are the chances? Busan is a pretty big place. He came in, he saw the movie, he liked it. He liked it a lot. And um, I guess the rest is history. Um, it was it was great. It's like a v- validation. It's like meeting, I don't know, meeting Elvis and he taps you on the shoulder and tells you, hey, man, you can sing. So <laughs> from someone you, you, you admire, you appreciate his work, but you can't deny, and I don't want to deny, the influences he had back then and, and still today. So it was pretty one of those kind of like comet moments, like once in every 40 years, or I, I don't know, once in a lifetime kind of a moment where you actually get to show the person who inspired you so much, the movie you did, and he likes it. So that was pretty rare. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, he's also showing Gunpowder Milkshake at the New Beverly, right? Uh, he's It's like one of the only showings or the only showing that's like that in the U.S. Are you going to see it there? Are you doing a premiere there for it? Oh, I'm absolutely going to see the movie in a 35mm at the New Beverly Cinema. I mean, how could I not go there? Uh, <laughs> even on the 14, I mean, it's going to be me and Karen there doing uh, some Q&A and, you know, seeing reaction. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's... I think the movie landed in such a splendid way, the way it is now been shown across the, you know, across the globe. We've got Netflix is going to be in every house in America. You know, we still got some selected theater like the new Beverly. So if someone is insisting on going and watching it in a theater, they can do that around the world. You have both theatrical, some places and some places have streaming options. So, you know, after having this, crazy year i think the movie is gonna enjoy the best of all worlds so i'm I'm excited yeah it's definitely something that i would have definitely run out to the theater to to see you know but i'm not complaining obviously that i've seen it multiple times now on netflix and and it and it's still very striking and and it works on all levels there as well so no concerns you should have on that level um no concerns (laughs) Uh, your first two films were co-written and co-directed by your partner, Aaron Cashelis. Uh, and I know at the time this movie first sold, you were both kind of attached as a writer-director team. But here you are in the director's chair by yourself for the first time. How did that transition work for you? Uh, did it make the experience a bit more challenging this time around? I think every movie got its challenges. It's hard to separate um, your expectations and reality. So I don't think the challenge was doing it solo this time. I think there were many different other challenges. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, doing all the action and working with cast at this level and, and again, a crew at this level and orchestrating this gigantic movie compared to, I mean, the transition was from doing a movie for half a million dollar to kind of orchestrating a movie for... 25, 30 million dollars. So, but you don't think about it as you're working. You know, you wake up in the morning and you go to work and you try not to screw it up. Right. But that's all. That's the only thing. I mean, you're you're actually thinking all this amazing cast, you know, is trusting me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't want to screw it up. Not that I'm saying that fear is the only motivator not screwing it up. No, you want to make sure that it 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 plans you want to make sure that everything you have in mind is going to the screen and there's so many moving parts i mean this is 
far more than everything I've done before. It's got, I don't know how many percentage more action than the other movies, but let's say a ton more action that I done in my other movie combined together. And it's crazy action. It's got stunt people and car chases and explosions. So it was fun. It was challenging, it was rewarding, but it was fun. And I think the atmosphere on, on set was so positive and great. And so in many ways, the more challenging it was, at the end of the day, it was also more rewarding. Well, listen, the, the product is a fun, bright, ultra-violent twist uh, that I absolutely love on the, on the assassin, revenge genre stuff, stuff that's you know, doing very well right now with, you know, stuff like John Wick or, or, or the like. How did this idea come together for you? Uh, because I know you have, like you mentioned many times in many articles and everything else, you're, you're, uh, <laughs> you watch, you're a cinephile, uh, and, which has, you know, so many references in your head all at once and, and so many styles and genres that you play with. So how did this one come together in your mind? Um, well, first of all, again, thank you. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> um I think like like for me it's always the combi- the, the meeting point of two different genres and, and usually from two different or from different eras. Um in this specific case, when you go and you want to do um an assassin movie, a hitman movie, you have to go all the way back to Hitchcock, to the film noirs, to to the contract killers, to the hitman, and then later on you have the um, Akira Kurosawa, Samurai, and Ronin genre. And then you have the Sergio Leone, the gunslingers. Right. So for me, it always starts with this kind of holy trinity of Leone, uh, Hitchcock, and uh, Kurosawa. And it was here, it was the idea of an assassin being sent by her employer to retrieve a suitcase. But she stumbles upon a kidnap thriller. So it's like separate genres, a kidnap thriller, an assassin movie, and when they meet together to create something different, a new thing. Right. Um, and yeah, I think you, you you probably can see it. It's not like I'm trying to hide it very well, but you can probably see the film noir turning into a Western, turning into a martial art movie. And then you start climbing the, you know, the eras, like you... We start from the silent movies where we were heavily inspired by Buster Keaton when it comes to action sequences. And you go through the timeline to Spaghetti Westerns and to French New Wave. And you go to Jean-Pierre Melville and Jacques Demy with all the colors and musical inspiration that we had. And then you reach the 70s with directors like Michael Mann and Michael Cimino and obviously all the big ones like Scorsese, De Palma. Um, then you reach the 80s. And I, I'm i an 80s kid. I grew up in the 80s. Right. So I grew up in the era of blockbusters. And I am the grandson of a projectionist. So I actually spend a lot of time watching movies in a theater. I'm supervised. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> I'm the grandson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can go ahead and watch whatever you want. So you have all these 80s love to this Indiana Jones, which taught me a lot about action sequences and how to infuse story beats into action sequences to have a little comedy in them. And then I was exposed to the whole Asian cinema, like Hong Kong 
Wong action movies and Jackie Chan and, and you know, um, John Woo and later on Johnny Toe. And so, <laughs> and then you get to, to film school and you already have all these things and they're fighting in your head for, for the lead. Right. And then you kind of find a good place where they can all be living peace with each other. That's the genre blender that I think it, it hit me with the Korean movies that were trying to be distinguished. You know, I remember seeing Old Boy for the first time as a as a film. So like, what the hell is this? This yeah. is like, <laughs> and I think it also really hit me when I saw Kill Bill. It's like, all right, this is a genre blender. I understand what the genre blender is right now. Later on, I would realize, oh, wait a minute, Hitchcock was doing them as early as in the 40s, like you see Saboteur these days, and it's a genre blender. But then you find your outlet, like, all oh, right, this is the cinema I like. I like borrowing from this, and I like borrowing from that, and I like it. my movies to be funny and thrilling. I like my movies to be a roller coaster. I don't want to compromise on just doing one thing. Yeah, that was a very long answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it, especially because a lot of the things that struck me uh, with the film, uh, you know, especially that it's just it's this neon fantasy world, you know, that it, it it's interesting that your your production designer, I believe, is from Atomic Blonde. It has a lot of like those elements, except they show way more of a city than you ever will, <laughs> you know, in this yeah. film um, that this one speaks almost like a fantasy element, kind of uh, creating its own world, almost like a like a comic book film uh, would do like a noir uh, comic book style uh, that would blend with that. And then, of course, the music really struck me because it does stick out, at, especially early on with the Western theme. It does have a Leone. It does have, you know, the gunslinger type attitude in the beginning, especially with the diner sequences. So and, and then they carry that theme throughout with with the, the passing down of that mother daughter bond so it, it, a lot of those things that you said definitely come across so congratulations on that uh it definitely doesn't get lost in the shuffle yeah i'm doing a very poor job hiding my influences i, mean, <laughs> I try too hard to, to hide them but i mean when you go and do a movie like this you also have to acknowledge everything that came before you sure you know you, you're you're sitting on the, the shoulders of giants and the whole assassin genre and, and how it started and, and these worlds that those movies were building, you go back to all the noir films like Criss Cross and, and, and Gun Crazy and Killers, you know, there's always this underworld with rules and laws and codes and you have the mechanic who would supply you a car and you have the arm dealer would supply with weapons and you have safe houses and you have these joints this either it's a diner or restaurants where the outlaws can come and just you know have dinner in peace so it's a really long tradition of movies being done till this day but you ask yourself how is mine special like what do i bring so you have to acknowledge everything that came before came before you and i think what the music is doing and I have to give a lot of credit for Frankie, um, the, compo my, the composer who worked on this, who was also doing Rabies and Big Bad Bulls. With Frankie, I think it, we are able to glue all these different genres, different eras, and different styles, because 
even on this one, I gave him a call just when we started editing because I had ideas, but I, I wasn't sure how to guide him. But I remember very vividly calling him, all right, Frankie, this is what I had in mind. I don't know what it means, but this is what I have in mind. I'm hearing Ennio Morricone meeting Bernard Herrmann meeting Stilevio Capirani. Like, I don't know what, how it sounds, but this is what I'm hearing. And he goes like, I don't know too, but give me a second. Um, and it ended up being this kind of Western, heavy on violins, retro, Italian chic <laughs> soundtrack that also feels, I wouldn't say old, but yeah, the world retro has been thrown enough around <laughs> on my part. But yeah, it does feel a bit retro, but also very contemporary. And I think that's where the genre blender kind of comes to to a solid life. Yeah, especially because like you're adding the electronic element to it a, a lot with it, and, and it does make it sound more modern, but getting the point across of where the influences is. And, and I don't think you should have to uh, hide them at all. Every conversation, I, like I just listened to a two-hour uh, you know, interview with Quentin Tarantino the other day that was just literally just laying everything out. <laughs> you know, he he likes to dump out the toy box every single time and just kind of show you the work. You know, and and obviously he's he's used uh, Marconi for for soundtracks of his own, and, and he doesn't hide uh, what type of influences he has at all. So you know, absolutely, I I. I don't have any problem with that whatsoever. Um, but uh, I know your lead actress, Karen Gillan, said that the film was more of a cross of Kill Bill and John Wick. I, I can easily see, like, even, uh, like, modern comps of, like, the Kingsman series or even, like, Leon the Professional as professional uh, as potential influences or comparisons. Um, where did you feel like you were, you know, working with in terms of the structure of the film, anyway? For me, the influence is kind of, or at least the influences I'm aware of. Right. <laughs> around the early 2000s. Right. You know, and I think, yeah, obviously with John Wick and Kingsman and, you know, those are great movies, but I think they drew inspiration from the same source. Right. That, that I drew inspiration from. It's just we went our separate ways. So I think you can find a comparison, but when you start breaking it down, I think we all chose very different um, tree branches from the same kind of source. Because I can see John Wick and I can see those Sergio Leone influences. Right. And see the whole film noir aspect of it, but it kind of took a life of its own. So I think we're both drinking from the same fountain of, of inspiration, but we kind of took it to different interpretations. Um, I think, yeah, absolutely. If someone sees Gunpowder Milkshake and see those similarities, that's great. It's, it triggers what it triggers to them. Um, and I could totally see, you know, the Kill Bill influences in it. It's, like I said, you have to acknowledge <laughs> sure. all these great, iconic movies. So I'm pretty sure... If I dig deeper in myself, I can find more influences and more references that I wasn't even aware of them. Just because these movies live in me, definitely Kill Bill would be at the top of that list. Also because it met me. I mean, the movie and I met at a very critical point in my in my life. I was, I think, around 23, 24, and it was just a 
kind of, I think it was my even my first year at film school. So right. it was just when I was ripe. And by the way, I was learning to be a history teacher. And I only took a couple of classes in filmmaking until I made a decision to jump ship from being a history teacher and concentrate on, on cinema and filmmaking. But I vividly remember seeing Kill Bill 1, Volume 1, and realizing, all right, I get it now. This is what I want. <laughs> yes, I have to admit it's in probably there's even more inspiration that I'm willing to acknowledge at this point, <laughs> I guess. Not to anyone else. If anyone else asks, yes, I'm inspired and I steal and I borrow. <laughs> but for myself, I'm guessing there's a lot more. I'm not yet acknowledging myself. Sure. Uh, and and speaking of Karen Gill, I, I wanted to know, like, kind of, you know, this film could be something quite big for her career. Uh, you know, her biggest I role... Her biggest role today is probably Nebula in the MCU, and she's covered in body paint and armor and gets kind of hidden in a way. This role puts her right at the center of the frame, being the lead in the film, and and it could take her to another level here. What did you see in her that made you think she was your Sam? First of all, she is amazing, and I really hope this movie does well for her. Like I said, the level of trust I got from all this amazing cast is something that I am will always be in debt for. So I really hope this movie does everything she wants it to do for her. So um, fingers crossed. I think she's terrific. I was a fan of Nebula. I was a fan of Doctor Who. So you, you, I already knew she had it in her. But Sam, on paper, was always someone that had a very wide range of emotion. I didn't want to just focus all right she's she's an assassin so she's the silent tough kind of no it was never that it was never about one thing and it was always about being a kid and because growing up with no mom kind of got her stuck on that kind of basic level so she's a kid but then she's taking care of emily so she become she's forced to become a mom and then she has a certain relationship with paul Giamatti was like a surrogate father to her. So she's a teenager, kind of a rebellion teenager to him. But then she's got all these other emotions that are repressed and they come out when she's reunited with her mom, with her aunt. So I knew Sam would just have to be so many different things at once if we want to achieve something original. If we want to create not just this cookie cutter of like, you know, the silent kind of a too cool and too it was never i was never interested in that not there's anything wrong with that i love movies like that i grew up on movies like that but i felt that for this story and for our sam to be you know sam she had to have this range of emotions and she could trigger them instantly upon meeting different scenarios different characters and then i met karen and i'm sitting with her over drinks and she is that person She's just, she's smart, she's funny, she's excited, she can be vulnerable, she's all of that, and she's generous in a way that she suggests ideas, but also, you know, is open to ideas, and I actually felt like I am sitting with Sam, you know, on one moment she could be, so, and on top of everything, she is so down to earth, and and just generally a very nice person. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I'm surprised, I'm just saying, 
it's nice to meet someone who's wants to collaborate and wants to bring from themselves and after that meeting i knew i mean i called my agent and was like can you okay is she doing it like can we get <laughs> i was like really excited she's she's great she's amazing and the same happened with with lena because we cast you know they they both came on board almost at kind of the same time right and it was already a perfect cast by that point and then <laughs> you got angela bassett and michelle yao and carla gugino and paul giamatti which is another we can probably talk about this crazy talented smart you know established generous group of women and men paul is a little <laughs> um, because you have all these great women front and center but Cam is just terrific and she was committed and she, you know, her action sequences were very demanding, but she was all in. And I really, I, you know, of course I want the movie to succeed and I want people to love the movie. And I want the people to love the movie that I directed, but I really hope the mo- people would love Karen because she is terrific and she deserves it. And um, so is the other ladies. Well, and, and, you know, from the minute the script landed on the open market, I mean, journalists and critics, and and now that I've seen the film, I totally get it. Uh, they saw the film as a franchise waiting to happen. So, do you see more Karen in your future? Do you always did you always envision this as something bigger? Again, maybe more than I'm willing to acknowledge myself, because I had to be <laughs> after Big Bad Wolves. That's when you know. When me and Elodlovsky, my my writing partner, when we wrote this, it was just all right. Maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the one that will finally get made. And actually, this is the last script I wrote, and it got picked up very fast, and it started moving very fast. And we had oh, people are fighting on making this movie. That's great. All these production companies, all these studios, and we found this most amazing partners in uh, first the picture company Alex Heinemann and Andrew Rona, and then Studio Canal, um, and the movie got made. And it got made almost exactly how we and how I wanted it to to get made. So that was that was the battle. I mean, that was the fight. And we had COVID during post. So I'm not saying it was the worst thing, you know, for the movie, but it definitely had obstacles. Mm-hmm. So making a movie is never easy. And when you're making the movie that you actually wanted to make, no reshoots on time, on budget, it's already kind of a challenge. So to make a long answer short, there was nothing, there's nothing I'd rather do than work again with them. I mean, they're incredible. I would jump, I would drop everything and go and do another movie with Karen, Lena, Angela, Michelle, Carla, and Paul in a heartbeat. And yes, I love this world that we built, but I first want people to get this one. It's like, it's supposed to be this one thing. Um, I understand everyone's desire to keep, and and I feel that too, but I'm trying to stay humble. And, <laughs> you know, just, I hope people get this one and love this one enough. And if we are lucky enough to keep exploring that world, yes, I would want to do that. But um, I'm, fingers crossed, you know, people will, will get and, and love this one. That's the most important thing. Well, I'm in, and, and I'm I'm looking forward to hopefully that becoming a reality. I know you have a litany of uh, projects in various levels of development. 
um, you know, including uh, Once Upon a Time in Palestine, which I know is a long time uh, goal for you uh, that I know that was kind of like an announced thing not too long ago um, and potentially a Big Bad Wolves remake. A bunch of stuff is all just hanging around. So I don't even have to wish you good luck on anything. You have everything out in front of you. It's just uh, please, please wish me good luck. You never know. <laughs> it, can, it can't hurt. <laughs> well, well, then I absolutely do because you make uh, a lot of fun films. My wife was very proud that I was sitting down watching films in Hebrew because uh, my wife is Jewish and lived in Israel for a while. So, you know, uh, I, I definitely get extra bonus points. So I appreciate that from you. And I appreciate the solid film uh, that I think a lot of people are going to enjoy. So thank you for taking the time again. That's great. I appreciate it. Thank you, Andrew.